0: Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. All right, hey, open your Bibles. We're going to go to a couple places today, mainly in Philippians. I've been, uh, excuse me, I kind of preached hard at the end of last night's message and my voice is suffering for it, so, so hopefully we'll make it through here. We're in a, a uh, series called Love Evolution," It's a play on revolution, obviously. Love that a new Jesus movement that's gonna rise in America. They say when it, the darker it gets, the lighter the light gets. I believe that's happening right now across this country. We are in a fast slide into darkness in many different ways culturally. And some days I get distressed about it. I have to go, I walk and pray in the morning. And that walking and praying kind of gets me out of it. You know, I just start focusing on the Lord. Whatever you're facing in life, if you just turn your focus on Jesus Christ, He is the solution to every situation in life. I really believe that. It may not be a solution that's like, hey, do this, do that, do this. The solution is what it does to your heart. That when the Lord comes and touches your heart, it melts every other hill. Every hill that rises up in front of you melts in the presence of the Lord. So I got up this morning, I was thinking about this, that the church, this, this message I'm preaching, this series I'm preaching is very, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but it's, it's, it's a heart message. It's obviously, it's coming. It's coming I, I feel so ill-equipped every week to speak on this, I really do. I mean, it's like a wrestling match through the week to talk about. I've been avoiding it a long time. I took a shot at it on Valentine's Day. This year, I preached two messages on love. And and, and the reason is because I'm conflicted in my heart. The conflict I feel is I'm a prophetic guy, which means I I lean on the truth scale of things. I, I feel compelled to speak truth uh, at times even when it's, it's, it may not be the moment to speak it, you know. It's just how I'm built. It's, it's who I am, and, and I wrestle with that because the part of me as I look into love deeper, the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. And sometimes that's language. Learning the language of love is difficult for everyone. You know, we have uh, Enneagram, with love languages, all kinds of personality profiles that tell you Little bit about your communication style and who you are and your personality. They're they're really very helpful. In fact, I was certified in the the old system was the the old standard was the disc profile D I -S S C and it was it was four different aspects. Two of those are very forward fast moving, the two others are hesitant, and both are needed. Never think you only need the fast forwards. You if your car did not have a break. You would drive differently, right? You drive because you know you have a break. In the church and in society, we have drivers and we have breakers. And we need both of them. Some people need to hold back for quality control. Otherwise, others would move forward, not have unintended consequences that would happen and end up in dire straits. And so we, we feel that tension of move forward, but hold back, move forward, but hold back. You know, it's that Go, stop, go, stop. And I feel it with, with love and truth that uh, my compelling towards love is to love everyone. And, and in, the, in the society we're in right now, the church has lost its voice, by the way. I mean, we've lost more people in the past two decades in the church in America. Meanwhile, everywhere else in the world, Christianity is exploding. But we've been taken over by a um, kind of a... Um, uh, uh, a new movement of, uh, of, that is shaping and guiding our belief systems. And some of it's good, but a lot of it is not. And so in our schools, we see that parents are concerned about things that they've been taught that maybe the parents weren't aware of. And COVID brought that out. COVID has revealed so many things. You know, I mean, it's, it's a hideous disease that has affected so many people. Up to 700,000 people have died in the United States. Whether you believe those numbers or not, there's a lot of people that have died, trust me. Hundreds of thousands have died. And so we look at that, there's so much doubt in systems. There's fear about government, there's fear about anything of authority, even in the church in the past two decades. We dipped dipped for the first time since 1937 under the 50% mark of people that are followers of Jesus. A lot affects culture. That should arouse our hearts as believers to cry for revival in this country. And that's important for a couple reasons. I'm a student of history. I read a lot of books. I'm in four right now. I mean, I read continuously. I have all kinds of things swirling around my head. But one thing I know for sure from history is that we want to stay close to Christian values as we can because they do produce good cultures. Obviously, there's extremes that come out of everything. Whether it's Islam, Judaism, there's always extreme groups, Christianity, and we can point to all of them and judge them, but they are small extremes, typically, in the major religions of the world. The core people that follow these religions desire for better societies. Now, well, there are bad religions, I gotta admit, there are. But Christianity has held up for 2,000 years and been the core of the culture that we have in America right now, what we call Judeo-Christian society or culture. Does that mean that all Christians run it? No. No, does it mean it'd be the best thing if all Christians ran it? I'm, even not, I'm not even sure of that. I just think that the right people need to be in there that holds certain values of life, of fairness, of justice. We need, there's a lot of injustice in America and we need to continually comb over that. And anyone who thinks that America is not moving toward a greater justice needs to look at history. For hundreds of years, we have fought and gone. We've had wars, civil wars to bring justice. I mean, we've, 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 Ohio, I'm reading about Ohio right now, so it's going to be woven into some of our message. Ohio is an amazing place. I'm learning more and more about Ohio that I never knew, that obviously I knew about the Underground Railroad, that Ohio was key in bringing uh, slaves out of slavery and delivering them into a place of safety, Uh, that being Canada. We were instrumental. We were willing to stand up against national government to do that, state government to do that, and even local governments to do that. Read some stories about it. It's amazing. Out of this state, birthed out of this state, was Harriet Be- Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, which, which basically incited the Civil War. What's called the Civil War? It wasn't civil, but the Civil War, where brothers fought against brothers, and, and it was just a horrible, over a half a million people uh, killed in the Civil War. It was bloody, it was horrible, and everyone had someone they knew that was in it. We have shed blood for justice in this country. Is it perfect? No. No, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit has moved upon this country as it has in many other countries around the world. I'm not a nationalist. I'm a patriot. I love America. I've been all, all over the world and I've seen a lot of great governments and I, I, there's places I love to go because it's just, there's a culture of just loveliness. <laughs> you know? So I've loved England. I've been to England over 50 times. I mean, I, I love it. I love going there. It takes me back. It, it, it pulls simplicity out of me when I go to England. You know, that you just walk everywhere. You know, you walk to the butcher, you walk to the barbershop, you walk to wherever you want to be. I love that culture, you know, and we don't do that so much here in America. There's few places that that actually happens. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, sim, it's a simplicity. And I always come back touched from it. I love Iceland for a lot of reasons, the magnificence of the country and the people. They're fiery people in Iceland. Go figure. I mean, they got a Viking culture there. They've got all kinds of, they've got a spiritual culture there. Christians uh, throughout the history have gone there. It's part of the uh, uh, water bridge that's over the northern uh, continents in the Atlantic, you know, where you go to the Shetland Islands, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, uh, uh, Greenland, and then down into Newfoundland. It was the bridge that they would take to come to America because there was land periodically <laughs> that they could safely refuel at. So you study all that and the magnificence of places around the world, but there's something unique about America. I don't, I don't speak of it in transcendent views, although I believe it's magnificent. I believe there are seeds of things in this country that have brought it to greatness. Some would say the greatest civilization in world history. And so I respect that. I don't agree with everything. There's so much I disagree with. I mean, seriously, from, from when I was a little boy, uh, even when I was a teenager, when our president had to resign Our president had to resign, President Nixon. I remember it clearly. I was distraught by it. The war in Vietnam, the distresses in the street in the late 60s especially. But in the midst of that, God was birthing a Jesus movement that would bring a fresh wave of the Spirit. It has happened over and over again in the United States. In times of distress, when the plow goes in the ground deep in America, God is about to plant a seed. And the plow is going deep in America right now. There's things that are happening I do agree with. There's things I don't agree with. But I can feel this nefarious spiritual move to to destroy Christian roots uh, uh, in America. And when I say that, I am fully aware, I am fully understanding the sins of America, whether you want to call them original sins or not. I'm just telling you that I believe in the church right now. God is wanting to burst something in us. The church has to be at the forefront of it. When I was reading about Ohio the other day, a man named Cutler, a pastor named Cutler from from Connecticut, he was the one that carried the burden that we need to go in and settle the the great Westland of the United States called Ohio. And he said, when they came and they saw the river, the Ohio River, the great, one of the great, Oh, artery river arteries in the world it is so fruitful he said the contrast between the mountains and the depth of the topsoil in this state and the beautiful river systems capped off by a great lake he said there's no other place in the world like Ohio I read that and I thought thank the Lord I was born in Ohio this is a fruitful land it birthed three major cities that are key major cities. One is very north-ish, northish, one is very central, and one is very southern. You go, you go to Cincinnati, there's a southern field to it. You go to the northeast, there's a New England field to it. You go to the east side of the city, you can see roundabouts. Came direct from England because of Moses Cleveland as he laid out this city. Columbus is white toast, it's just the it's middle America. <laughs> In fact, when they're doing all kinds of surveys and polls and everything, they do them in Columbus because they feel it represents the core, the average of who America is all about. That is Ohio. Ohio means, it's an Iroquois word, meaning something beautiful. God has given us something beautiful here. If you take it seriously, you'll realize that out of this state will be birthed something that I think will save the nation. I really do. I think something special about this state, the only state that has a scripture as its motto with God, all things are possible. Apparently Edison believed that even though the scripture motto came after his time. With him, all things were possible. Thousand mistakes, I'll keep doing it until I figure it out. The light bulb, (laughs) You know, apparently the Wright brothers believed the impossible. Apparently John Glenn believed the impossible. Apparently Neil Armstrong believed the impossible. We can go on and on and on throughout this state. The heroes that have been raised up out of this soil in this state. Why are you here? You're here for a transcendent purpose that God's called you to. And in that, it's time for us to bring our focus in. I'm feeling this so strong after our 25th anniversary. I feel like we put the first 25 years of this church in a, in a safe and locked it up and then turn around and say, now what? What have we learned over the past 25 years and where are we going? What am I desiring? This is what I'm desiring right up here. A revolution. I believe there's a Jesus movement coming that's gonna be marked by love. That love is going to look like not just hugging one another. <laughs> in fact, I hope it doesn't have a lot of that. But anyway, <laughs> a couple hugs here and there. <laughs> but it's going to be about the practical expression of heaven on earth. That we love people in such a way. I was thinking about when Jesus, the, the woman in adultery was brought to Jesus. She was caught by the spiritual elites, the Pharisees thrown down in front of Jesus and basically trying to trick Jesus, what do you do with this now? Jesus did that crazy thing that he did. It was just so amazing. I love how he moves in love and yet in love he pierces the hearts of those that are evil and trying to do evil to other people. In this case, it was religious people. He picks up a rock. He writes in the dirt, as the rock there, because what they do now is they stone this woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. The one without sin, throw the first stone. Some theologians believe that he had just written in the ground the sins of all the Pharisees that were standing around. (laughs) There's part of me that wishes that was true. I don't know if it's true or not. Can you imagine? You know, Steve, anger, arrogance, whatever you write down, you you know, ambition, you know. And you're there as a Pharisee like, oh, yeah, there's that. And they all drop their stones and begin to walk away. Well, I wish that would happen in America right now. We could drop our stones and walk away. Jesus turns to her she knowing that he had the authority to stone her too. And he says, I don't condemn you. He said, neither do I condemn you. But he said this, go and sin no more. Now that's the tension of love. And yet understanding that sin separates you from the very love of God. Now I understand history. I understand that that actually drove the crusaders to kill millions of Muslims in the 10th, 11th, 12th, well, really 8th, 9th, 10th century. Uh, why? Because of the love of God, we've got to kill evil in order to preserve Christianity. Let me just tell you, they, they had the truth down possibly right, but the love part was way off. You don't show love by killing other people. You show love by just killing yourself. Laying down your life. You lay down your life for a friend. No, greater love than you lay down your life for a friend, for a brother. The laid down lovers are what the kingdom of God is all about. So I was thinking about this morning when I got up because it so ties in with what I wanted to share here as we go to scripture, is that learning to love well is learning how to engage yourself to actually love people. Out of your inconvenience, out of your poverty, out of your, well, I need to get healed myself before I can help others. The, actually, the reaching out to others becomes the healing in your heart. It says it in Isaiah 58. It says that when you reach out, when you extend your soul, I extended my soul. I'm practicing. I'm trying, you know, I want to learn to love. I really do. And I, I don't know where I am on the love scale, you know. I think some days I may be an eight out of one out of 10. And some days I'm, a, I'm into minus numbers. I just got an attitude, you know. Yesterday was kind of one of those. But anyway, so it's fresh in my mind. And I, I think, oh, you know, I was doing so well. I just felt I was loving well and I, did, I, I didn't love well. Jesus, what, I can't do this on my own. Only God who has an eternal love, can teach you how to love well. So I'm in the school of Jesus. School of Jesus is learning to love. It's learning to love other people. It's learning to love people that maybe you wouldn't normally go to or love. It's learning to reach out to those, the unlovelies in your world. we all have those in various parts of our world. Whether you admit it or not, we do. And so we go after the unlovelies. So we are building heart sets, heart sets, that create mindsets That create lifestyles. If our heart is right, our mind will submit to the heart. The heart is more powerful than the mind. The mind is merely a servant to the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why when you say something really stupid, which I've done, you immediately say I didn't really mean that. Well, actually you did. You just don't know yourself that out of your heart, that's what comes out. Oh, yeah, I didn't mean that. Oh, yeah, I would take that back. That's why we apologize to one another. And by the way, the real way to apologize is to ask for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness, uh, there's no way to cover that up. When you apologize, say, I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't really mean that. It's not, it just came out of my mouth. You know that's not me. That's, that's saying you're sorry. When you apologize and say, would you forgive me? You're saying, that was wrong no excuses. Would you forgive me? And then you wait. Have you ever had to wait in that moment? You know, if it's someone who's been waiting for you to say that, there may be a delay. Like, really? You really mean that? Yes. I mean that. In my heart, I'm having a battle right now because I was hoping you'd just say, I'm forgiven and we could be done with this. But it's being delayed. Yes. So you're not going to do that again? I cannot promise that. But I am learning how to love. Okay. Yeah, I forgive you. I know there's something really, I'd like to say magical about it it's supernatural. It's when you enter in the love of Christ, it is a deliverer. And not only does it wash the thing clean and clear up minds about hurt or wounds in the future, but it demonstrates something in your very heart. It has supernatural power attached to it for you to actually be energized by the Spirit of God to not do it again. Because you need the energy of the Holy Spirit to walk as Jesus walked. And so we go to these scriptures and uh, Philippians 1, look at Philippians 1. I'd like you to just see this. Uh, and the reason I think this is so important for us today is because I read an article this week um, about uh, preaching during COVID. It was, it was an interesting article. I forget who put it out. It was a main, uh, mainline press of some sort, I forget. Uh, but they, they did, they interviewed like, or they, they ran surveys of transcripts from something like, I think it was maybe 20,000 churches. It was tens of thousands of churches. Ran them through this computer and the computer spit out the words that came up the most. It was interesting what Catholics preach about, what evangelicals preach about, and what charismatics preach about. Charismatics, you know, it, it, well, let's go to Catholics. Catholics, the words that pop up a lot are the poor, serving, caring. Those are the words that pop up. That's what Catholic preachers are preaching about. Evangelicals, it's souls, family. And these are all good things. No one complain about it. Souls, family, the times we live in, you know, current events came up a lot in evangelicals. Uh, Actually, not so much in Catholics, but definitely in evangelicals. Charismatics talk about experiences, encounters, Holy Spirit, all all good things. So I looked at them all, and I thought, you know, can I pick from each category? Like, charismatics seldom talk about the poor. Not that the charismatics are over here and the poor are over here. I don't know why I'm doing that, but I shouldn't be doing it up and down or something. We don't talk a lot about the poor but we are called to touch the poor because Jesus went after the poor in great love. We are called in the evangelicals to go after souls. And so in our heart, what, is, what brings all this together? Love. Love is the common denominator in all those things. And so Philippians, it says this in verse 1, it says, or I'm sorry, verse nine of Philippians one. This I pray that your love may abound still more. And get this, this seldom happens in scripture. It's repeated again. It says, let's do it again. And this I pray that your love, everyone say love, may abound still more and more. So if you thought you were at the more phase, there's still more after the more. More and more. So your love may abound more and more in what? In the knowledge and discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. May I say that in America, we're in the most offendable moment of my entire life. Everyone's offended. What you said, how you said it, how you look, how you walk. I'm offended you're white. I'm offended you're black. I'm offended you're Hispanic. I'm offended that you're old. I'm offended that you're young. I'm offended that you're Republican. I'm offended you're a Democrat. I'm offended that you're independent. We're offended about everything. I'm offended about your hair. (laughs) Christopher, do you get that at all? I always think I'm going to cut my hand if I touch his hair. You know, it's just so sharp. (laughs) We're offended about everything. And in the church, it's magnified. That offended me. Someone took my seat. Something you said. I didn't like it. The coffee was a little too hot. I burnt my lip. I'm offended. I'm not going to church anymore. I mean, people, I was just talking to someone in the lobby about it earlier. People leave the church nowadays for the craziest things. I hear it. I mean, now, you know, I've been through it enough. I'm like, oh, okay. And charismatics are so good because they always veil it in the will of God. I just felt the Lord tell me to leave. If I scratch a little deeper, I don't anymore. But if I scratch a little deeper, I'll find out there's an offense in there (laughs) that the Lord apparently took and said, you know what? We're gonna use that to leave now. I give you permission to leave. Let me tell you something. God does not operate that way. Get that out of your vocabulary. (laughs) I can't use that anymore. I can't use God as an excuse. In fact, you need to be careful about using his names about decisions you make that actually later on you're gonna find out might've been wrong. It's really quiet in here, Cindy. We're going to move on. (laughs) Let's go a little deeper in Scripture here. I'm pretty safe in that. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So here's some questions I want to ask. Then we're going to go back to the Scripture, and then we're going to go eat chicken or something like that. Okay, so here's here's a question. I'm going to talk about mindset, God set, and Christian mindset, which is a little bit different. Mindset. Ask yourself these questions. This is your internal rhetorical quiz right now. Is what I'm thinking about myself accurate? What do you think about yourself? And is it accurate? Bad or good? Some of us hang on to a concept about ourselves that's negative for decades until, by the grace of God, a layer is pulled off in your life and you're like, wait, that's not true. I'm not limited. I could do it because I was raised in a certain place or because I'm from a certain family or because I don't have education or whatever. I mean, many of the billionaires in America right now, if we want to use finances as success, many of the billionaires dropped out of their college classes. They were driven by something intrinsically deeper in their spirit, regardless of where you're from and what your background is. I'm telling you now, I've, I've seen this over and over again in 43 years of ministry. You can get two people raised in the same place with the same difficulties at the same time. One will succeed and one won't because it's internally a choice that we make inside somewhere. I am not gonna be governed by all the things that I hear, my lack, my loss, and my limitation. And so, at times we need to look at ourselves and say, Is my belief system right about myself? Or on the other end, am I that good? Well, I think I'm doing really great. Everything's good. I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, really. Have you read 1 John lately? You need to, it's good homework. 1 John talks about who actually loves God, and it's scary good. Let me get into details where you think, I've been a follower of Jesus now for 57 years. Eight years old, I gave my life fully to Jesus Christ. But when I read stuff like that, it shakes me to the core. I'm like, oh, have I learned to love? He brings it up over and over again in First John. If you say that you love God, but hate your brother, those kinds of things and it doesn't end well for us. And so I start to realize love is at the core. So as I investigate my own life, and I'm not talking about being introspect, I'm just talking about raking the garden of your soul. You're looking at your soul saying, am I who I think I am? Have believed something that possibly is not right? And you can change. I mean, anything in your life can be changed by a choice. The power of choice is one of the most powerful things on this side of heaven, and it drove Adam and Eve to eat an apple off of a tree. That was a choice they made, and it caused great difficulty, where they were given eternal life, but they chose in in a poor way. And so choice is huge. So mindsets, what am I thinking about? If I'm thinking about myself as accurate, what happens when I believe that thought? So when you get a belief system in your mind, it it puts you on a certain trajectory, a certain path. So is that where I want to go? Is the path that I've been on, Now I wrote a book about this, so I got to tell you, uh, is the path I'm on actually going to where I want to go? I assess that all the time, about career, about everything about my life. Uh, and, and just say, Lord, is this, is this really taking me to where you've called me to go? And then I like to think about this, What would I be without that thought that is hindering me? That limiting thought. Well, what kind of person could I be? I'm telling you, when you meditate on that, it it causes energy and strength to rise out of your soul because you realize, wait a minute, Why then am I doing this? If if only a mere choice could get me, and I understand things are complicated, you know, geography, finances, everything else. But if it's a choice, if I make a choice and say, what am I, I'm not gonna do this anymore. It's taking me in the wrong direction. I'm actually going to think in this way. Changing your mind comes from a heart change. When the love of God comes over you, I gotta tell you, during worship on Sunday mornings, I love everybody. I just feel like really anybody comes like oh brother, you know, how so, you know, so, you know, so, was your week, you know, and and during the week we walk like robots, you know, yeah, yeah, Sunday morning, ah, yes, I love it. I love Christianity. I love the church, but then the week comes. And so is there a way, believing that that's authenticity, is there a way for us to, to move this out into our daily lives where actually we're living for Jesus every day? We are compelled to love We're being compelled by the love of God. That should be a scripture. Oh, it is. It's in Corinthians. That we are compelled by the love of God. It was like, if you could be like, I don't know, pick a word like uh, an ambassador. If you could be an ambassador for Christ for love. Wouldn't that be amazing? There was only a scripture about that. Oh, there is. It's in Corinthians. We are ambassadors of love, compelled by love. I don't know about you. I don't feel compelled by love all the time. If I put a percentage on it, I don't even want to talk about it publicly. <laughs> How often am I compelled by love? But Jesus and Paul and some of the other writers of the New Testament seem to feel like that should be the characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, they didn't live in America. Oh, that's right. Philippians was written in a prison cell. Hmm. 30 stench. I mean, it was horrible. I've been in some of those prison cells in, uh, in uh, Rome, in, uh, uh, well, in Europe, and, and also in uh, Israel. Uh, th- these are not, <laughs> we think normal prison cells now are bad. You need to go to ancient times and see what they were like. It was horrible. And out of that place, Paul says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Oh, that's somebody touched by something different than what I have. So did I get a lesser Jesus? Or is it an issue of the heart? That in America, we embrace, embrace something that's a caricature or a, a uh, emoji of God. It's, it's not the, like the real, the real thing. You know, There's something about a deeper walk in God that's coming to America right now, and we will embrace it. People are going to embrace love and they're going to learn that church is not an hour and a half service on Sunday morning. That's just an expression of it. It is a daily walk in the trenches of loving, unlovable people in every way and winning and ruling and reigning in life through Jesus Christ because of the love of God. Yeah, that sounds like a golf clap, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, golf clap. Not too loud. so God said I'm running out of time here is it what you're thinking about God is accurate what is he like what is his nature you ever explore these things what's his personality what's his priorities is my life pleasing to God (laughs) that's a dangerous question you ask that like well I hope you know I mean, he hasn't struck me with lightning yet. Although Cindy and I came very close the other day. <laughs> the lightning storm the other day was pretty amazing. So is my life pleasing to God? If so, in what way? Why do you, I mean, we don't need to ask these questions. I mean, they're just kind of awkward. And I don't, you know, what does it matter? I mean, he loves me. I know he loves me. He says in his word. I know, but that, is that love transforming you? Is that love something that just locked up in your heart? that gets warmed up through a microwave every Sunday morning? Or is the fiery passion of Jesus burning through you as a light everywhere you go? So what does it look like? What does it look like? Oh, there's so many things to talk about this. Let me just comment on this too for a finish. Maybe I'll continue this next week, but love right now is being distorted in our culture. In many ways, there's a redefining of what love is. If there's a redefining of gender, I heard it was like 28. Th- they've gone to 90 now, I think. 98, 97, 98, I may be a little off on that. Let's just say it's over 70. Over 70 different expressions and understanding of what gender is. Now that, I understand there's, there's all kinds of challenges and issues that, that are happen with people for various reasons, some physiological, some emotional, some way they were brought up, whatever. But let me just tell you right now, there are two genders. There's male and there's female. I never thought I'd have to preach on this, but here we are. You know, there's two genders. And the more that our culture goes into exploring these these nuanced understandings, I'm telling you, it is going to unhinge the culture that we're in and we will feel it. I'm feeling it already. We will feel it. What's, what's going to overcome that? Is it a revolution? You know, I, I don't know. We've had to have those obviously throughout world history. Anyone who talks about a revolution, I say, count me out, really. I mean, I, I, I've studied history. It's bloody. Is that really what we want? Or do we want a move of God that's going to transform this country? Quit thinking about bloodshed. And think about the, shed that's, the blood that's already been shed in Jesus Christ. And attach to that shed blood and say, by the power of Jesus Christ, we want to settle this country. We want people to understand who they are, if they're male or if they're female. And I want them to understand that early on and be able to move through life with an identity. You, you imagine how tormenting it is to live through life and not know your identity? I mean I, I, the Lord's given me great compassion for that and I uh I I have compassion for for trans people uh gay I mean I, I it's when I, and this has been a process throughout my life. I don't know that I've always been this way, but I know that actually that I haven't always been this way. But, but I know the Lord's given me compassion. So how do, how do I hold the tension of truth of what I know I understand according to the word of God without imposing it on them? How do I hold that tension of truth and yet still love them? And you know, we're mocked all the time by, you know, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, that's kind of true and it's kind of also too simplistic, that truly out of believers should come a love that is so overwhelming. Listen to this. Love always brings forth life at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible says in John three sixteen. 16, the scripture we all know, but just kind of go, oh, it's a good verse, you know, but it's, it ceases giving us chills anymore because we've read it a thousand times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall live and have eternal life. Life is the, is the outward fruit of loving. God loved us in all of our wicked, weird, multitude states that we were in. That includes me and you. All of us looked ahead into the future because He's God and He can do that. He looked ahead and saw you and said, I am willing to die and give my life in love for that person. That's radical radical love. But then he turns to us and says, I give you my love. Now go love. Show God's love. Let me read this in conclusion, this verse out of Philippians uh, 2. I love it. It says there's, there's there, it's chapter two, verse one. I've been hanging in Philippians for a couple weeks now uh, in my study there. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ or any comfort in Jesus, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Paul says out of a Philippian prison or out of an Ephesus prison, writing to the Philippians says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. So our minds need to change to be A consolation in Christ, a comfort of love, a fellowship of the Spirit, an affectionate. I tell you, I've been studying this all week and everyone I've met this week, I immediately feel the Holy Spirit saying, okay, how are you gonna uniquely love this person right now? It's changing changing my, uh, my calendar a little bit, you know? And I've had to enter in and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Immediately people open up. The R-U-A-J-F, are you a Jesus follower? The thing that I do. I mean, it's, it's, through the COVID, it has been so powerful. It automatically, it's a little different than what I designed it from the beginning, but it's opening people's hearts to bring out the most difficult challenges they're facing in their life. And what I'm finding is they need love. They need to he, someone to hear, someone to love them, and someone even to speak into them hope which has become the ministry that I've moved in in the the streets that I go in every day and places I go, is to speak hope in the midst of difficulty, sometimes very short, sometimes lengthy. Why? Because I I wanna mimic Christ. That's what I wanna do. Am I perfect at it? No, far from it. I forget a lot of times. But he says, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Can we not hang together in peace for a while as a church? being of one mind, and then he unpacks it in verse three, and this is what I'm finishing with. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Did you get that? Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, see, there's nothing wrong with that, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you. He doubles down on it, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. Everyone say, made himself. made himself. This is your job. You make yourself do what needs to be done to love others. Learn to love. That he made himself, he made himself, somewhere in here, I lost my place. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, made himself in, 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 of no reputation Taking the form, taking the form he made, he took. He made, he took. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. In other words, you're not coming in all that. You're not as cool. Yeah. (laughs) That might mean wearing uh, non-skinny jeans. Uh Or not going to Starbucks every day. I don't know. It's, it's entering into a likeness of people and being found in the appearance of a person. You're just a person. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Well, we don't have to go that far. Even death on the cross, therefore the Lord highly exalted him. I mean, this is where promotion comes. By laying down your life in love. Found the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave gave him a name. So promotion and reputation, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, that's authority that was given to him, and that every tongue should confess, that's cooperation, that Jesus is Lord and the glory of the Father. So here you get promotion, reputation, authority, and cooperation. Hey, I want it, how do you do it? You lay your life down. You love everyone. You come into their world. You love them where they are. Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not only in my presence, and I talked about this last week, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. That's what I feel the Holy Spirit saying to Steve Witt, and I would introduce it to you also. Work it out, Steve. Work it out. It's a workout. It's a workout, learning love. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I don't have the will for it. Holy Spirit can give you that. I don't have the do for it. Holy Spirit can give you that. God's calling us to be a church of love. Let's all stand if we could.